Hey, welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds. I am your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. Tonight is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022, and we got a great episode for you guys as always. Uh, today we'll go over some news and notes of what's going on around the league, and then we'll go over our ranking for second base, third base, and shortstop. So we got a lot to get through in this um, episode today, but let's first uh, welcome Matt. Matt, how's it going? What's new? What's good? Yeah, we uh, baseball's been pushed back one more week, so April 14th will be the soonest we could have baseball as it stands today. And I think as we go week by week, it may be pushed farther and farther. Yeah, so uh, for the listeners who haven't been keeping up on the news on the MLB lockout, kind of just uh, give the listeners a brief overview of what's happened since last week when we talked about the lockout. Yeah, we're starting to hear more and more as the weeks move on about some of the smaller details in the CBA. Now they've gotten to some of the adjustments they want to make within the game. Uh, Some of those are to speed up the game. First and foremost being they want to add a pitch clock. So last year in the minor leagues, they kind of gave it a trial run. uh, 17 seconds with runners on and 15 seconds with the bases empty. Major League Baseball is looking to implement that into the pro level. Kind of the adjusted stats for uh, Major League Baseball would be 14 seconds with the bases empty, 19 seconds with runners on. The overall goal is to shorten game lengths. Uh, last season was a record at three hours and 10 minutes, and it was actually the shortest it's actually ever been. So I think what they're really trying to do is push that under the three-hour mark, which is kind of crucial. Next up on the slate, they are looking to kind of change the formatting for how international players enter systems. As it stands right now, systems across Major League Baseball has have set up their own academies, have worked in correlation with uh, standalone private academies, to sign some of these international prospects, biggest that come to name, you know, Fernando Tatis, you have Vlad Guerrero, Eloy Jimenez. Those players, for the most part, have just been signed. Major League Baseball and the Players Association, as of right now, are talking about implementing a draft system, which would allow some of these players to you know, finish their education properly. They would you know, not have to worry about signing at 12, 13 years old, having families have scouts come in at that age range, really kind of throwing off the overall development from the human being perspective for these kids. So this is very big news. This is very, very important for the league and for these individuals that are outside the United States. Uh, I do expect that to be done, but kind of building that framework to get that deal done is kind of the issue they're having right now. They are kind of at a standstill, if you will. Uh, They don't have the details completely hashed out. And then the last thing that did come out this week is the idea that Major League Baseball wants to uh, enlarge in the bases themselves. This of hope would be that injuries would be lessened. It would give runners a larger target to slide at. It would also give infielders a larger target to, you know, toe tap and obviously complete and finish double plays. This is something that Major League Baseball also tried in the minor leagues. Not a huge rule change. Uh, There is minute uh, analytics backing up the fact that the ball may or may not have more of a chance to actually hit the base and alter its base path. And then there is one more change. Uh, They are looking to ban the shift. This is something that Major League Baseball is proposing to ultimately create more of a fair playing field. Doesn't really affect the game overall outside of analytics. And, you know, guys like Joey Gallo, uh, Anthony Rizzo, some of the guys that are extreme left-handed pull hitters. I do expect, though, if that does get approved, that teams will be able to find a way around that, whether it's using two outfielders and shading an outfielder in as a, a secondary infielder. But those are the newest proposals. I think a lot of those will get done. The last thing that we're really going to have to wait on and kind of hear more news on is the Super 2 rule. That is going to be addressed, I've heard, in the next week as well. That could be something that also holds up negotiations quite a while with service manipulation time by organizations. 
Yeah, and the one thing you didn't mention is um, with the latest uh, negotiations still going on, opening day has been pushed back until the very minimum, April 14th. So that's already the first four series of games that we're missing out on two weeks of baseball. So it is uh, sad to see. In my personal opinion, I really don't think we're going to see it until May, maybe middle of May, maybe beginning of June. I was talking to a co-worker today at work, and we were just talking like, you know, in April, there's not that much baseball viewership, you know, in the northern, western states, um, midwestern states, I should say. It's kind of colder, and you don't really get as much fan base. So I think once we start warming up and it starts getting closer to summer, I think that's when negotiations will really heat up because there's going to be more push um, because you're going to get kids out of school. You're going to get everybody wanting to, to go and do events. Um, hopefully COVID slows down, and I think uh, all those external factors might actually expedite this uh, process so hopefully that happens um, but moving on uh, not too many notes um, from around the league um, since we are in a lockout I did want to mention three things um, the Yankees um, it came out that they had requested medical information for three current free agents so Matt I want to hear your take on these they requested uh, medicals for pitcher Yusei Kikuchi Carlos Rodon and Carlos Correa what are your initial thoughts on hearing these? I don't think there is really any chance they end up actually signing Correa. Uh, you know, with Volpe in the minor leagues, presumably ready to take that next leap by 2023 to be the starting shortstop for the future for the Yankees. To commit two to $300 million to Carlos Correa, I think would just be kind of a poor decision from the front office's perspective. And I think more or less you need to look at pitching for that rotation We've talked about this before. Outside of Cole, there's a lot of question marks. And to bring in Kikuchi, not a bad idea, right? But he has also has problems with home runs. That's not the ballpark you necessarily want to bring a guy that is a fly ball pitcher to. Um, did have okay strikeout rates over the last couple of years. Rodon, I think we love. I don't love it from a fantasy perspective, though, because, again, Rodon, you know, he's going to struggle with a smaller ballpark. So I think from a winning perspective, if you're in points leagues, Rodon, he's going to get you the wins. If he's on the Yankees, you're probably going to see quite a bit of a hike in that ERA. Uh, that whip, just for the simple fact of home runs going over the fence, is probably also going to go up. But I don't think that the Yankees are making a poor choice by targeting Rodon or Kikuchi got to add at least one arm to that that rotation and again we've talked about Severino coming back but you know we've spoke off the air about this it's a shoulder injury it's a lat injury it's an elbow injury all started from the shoulder that's a big concern for me and for you yeah absolutely the one thing I would say though is we've seen it um, with organizations like look at the the Cardinals um, they acquire Nolan Arenado and now Nolan Gorman is getting moved to second base so there's a potential that that could happen they could move Volpe to second or third or outfield I don't know where he uh, would benefit the most in but that it that is an option um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do sign him I just don't think it's likely that Carlos Correa goes there um, but let's move on to our rankings. We'll start out with second base, um, and we'll kind of do what we did in the last few podcasts. We'll go over uh, each of our top five, and then we'll kind of break down some uh, similarities and differences and kind of why we feel the way we do about these players in comparison to uh, the rest of the industry. So let's, uh, let's start off, Matt. Why don't you give the listeners your top five at second base? 
Yeah, and we actually in our top five have kind of a little bit of movement, a little differences here, and I think that's good. Starting off for me, it's Trey Turner. I think from an industry-wide perspective, again, much like Vladimir Guerrero, Trey Turner is the bona fide number one, and it's by a large margin. Turner is expected to play at shortstop for the Dodgers this year, but he is second base eligible since after the trade he had to play at second. Uh, I think with you, what you get from stolen bases, home runs, average counting stats, you know, you're talking about a guy in categories or roto leagues that should be going number one, if not number two overall, because there is that contrast with Fernando Tatis. Uh, Turner is going to give you everything you want. And from a points league perspective, while stolen bases don't add up as quickly as you would like, he's going to give you other areas, those home runs, those RBIs, those runs scored in that batting average. I think Turner at second base outside of Salvador Perez may just be the absolute number one um, positional kind of push here. Number two overall, I have Ozzy Elbies coming off that World Series championship. I think Elbies has a good season. I'd say anywhere from 20 to 30 home runs to 70 to 285 batting average. Uh, that's going to give you consistent stability there at two. Marcus Semien for me comes in at number three. I do expect him to have a decrease in production, leaving that Toronto lineup heading down to Texas with Corey Seager. I just expect counting stats will be down. Home runs probably will also be down. I have Albies ahead of him because I think Albies is a little bit safer. We know what we get. Uh, number four, I have Kettle Marte. Kettle Marte, really the only bat in that lineup down there in Arizona. He, you know, he had a kind of a rough season last year in terms of power production, but I do expect a bounce back from Marte. And I also expect him to be traded either before the season or midseason so that Arizona can kind of recoup some assets as his contract is coming up in the next few years here. And then five, I have Jose Altuve. Altuve should kind of be higher based on his production over the last couple of years, but we've seen continuous regression in overall batting average, stolen bases. His power has kind of stayed where, where he has been hitting. I do expect this season, though, to see even some of those home runs take a bit of a decrease. So Jose Altuve falls to number five for me. Yeah, and I agree with most of what you said, though. The one disagreement here is uh, Jose Altuve for me. Um, Trey Turner, Ozzy Albies, first and second for me. I have Altuve number three, followed by Semyon, and then Marte. With Altuve, he was injury-ridden uh, in that 2020 season, had a, a bad year, but had a great bounce back. Um, he did only bat 278 uh, last year, but he did have 31 home runs. Um, so I agree. I don't think he's going to give you that 300 production like we are used to him seeing, but I still think he gives you um, a good, decent uh, power with 25 to 30 home runs. Um, and when we compare that to the rest of the guys um, that you have ranked above, like Marte and Semyon. Semyon, yeah, he hit 45, 46 home runs uh, last year, um, but he did get uh, moved to the Rangers, so I expect him to have a, a decrease in power production, and when he's batting 260, 270, and I project him, project him to uh, bat... Uh, 25-30 home runs, similar to Altuve. I'll take uh, Altuve with... Uh, 20 points higher in batting average, and you know it's going to be more consistent. Um, just looking at Marcus Simeon with him moving um, to the new ballpark, um, I want to pull up the projected home runs. So let's see. I got it right here. Where's Texas? Why can't I find it now? Do they not have it? So in Texas, he would be projected 32 home runs as opposed to um, the 40-some he hit last year. So I see that decreasing, um, especially he's not going to hit all of his, uh, have all of his games 
in Texas Stadium, but um, just something to note. And then Cattell Marte, I'm kind of one of those, I need to see the bounce back before I rank him higher than Altuve and Semi. And any thoughts on those, Matt? Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from with Altuve. I just can't discount Marcus Semien as much as maybe you are. You know, you, you again, you hear 45 home runs. The most amount of home runs he had hit before last year were 33 in his, you know, MVP caliber season with Oakland where he did not win the MVP, but he was in the voting. I think realistically that's probably the ceiling that you're going to look for, probably 30 to 35 in all reality, maybe 10 home runs less than he hit in Toronto. The big knock is going to be those counting stats, though. That lineup, you know, has the pedigree and has this, the statistical data backing it up that it was on base a lot, giving him more runs driven in, giving him more runs scored. I think that is going to take a hit, but I, I truly am just buying uh, low on Altuve this year because I just don't believe that he's going to give that same production. And in all, all accounts, you know, I think he's going fourth and fifth round right now. That's not a bad price. And honestly, Semyon's price, I think middle to end of second round is a lot, but I still in, in a vacuum would rather take Semyon. Uh, and Kettle Marte, you know, we've seen what he can do. I just, I expect a lot from him. He's got a lot of talent. I do think he was affected by the change in baseball. Um, so I think I'm, I'm definitely bullish on Marte this year, but I'm hoping for a change in team and a change in scenery for him. All right, let's move on to our six through 10 hitters at second base. Matt, why don't you tell the listeners who you got? Yeah, so first at number six, I have Whit Merrifield. Uh, same thing as Altuve here. You know, in categories leagues, you're going to draft him heavily for the steals. He is getting older. The steals have not necessarily slowed down, so I don't expect for him and his speed to kind of take a hit this year. But outside of that, you know, there's not much power there. Uh, counting stats should be up a little bit this year if they can bring up Prado and MJ Melendez. But in terms of, uh, again, in a vacuum, I'd rather have Jose Altuve over Whit Mer- Merrifield. That's why he does come in at six. Number seven for me is Brandon Lau. This is more of a points league adjustment here at number seven. A lot of power. I think with Wander Franco in that lineup, uh, possibly with Josh Lau also also coming up, you're going to have some bats in that lineup that can definitely help aid his counting stats, and the home runs are there. We've seen that. Again, can he avoid that two, two-and-a-half-month slump where you're literally contemplating dropping him because, again, that's what he did last year and then exploded. Number eight overall, I have Jonathan India. India is an aggressive placement here. I do believe what we saw last year. I know industry-wide there's not a lot of belief that that's going to continue. Like the power, love the ballpark. I think overall playing in Cincinnati is really why I like him so much. He's going to have ample opportunity to have you know multiple games with home runs and doubles. He's really going to drive the ball out of that park. Number nine, I have uh, Polanco for Minnesota. Had a good bounce back season last year, has shown multiple seasons now that he has the ability to hit at a high level of production. And number 10, I have uh, Javier Baez. Baez, I'm not a believer in. I think the worst possible place he could have gone was Detroit. Big time right center gap uh, power. It's going to kind of be displaced there in Detroit. I think Baez, while he made his money, he's definitely not worth the same amount of money in fantasy baseball this year. Look for him late. I'm, I'm not looking to draft him before round 11 or 12 in all honesty. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm staying away from uh, high-view bias as much as possible, but there will be a point where it's going to be, okay, I can't let him fall this far. And I agree with most of what you said. I think the only differences we have in our 6 through 10 is I have Jonathan India and Jorge Polanco swapped. 
And pretty much the reason why is Polanco has that history, you know, before uh, last year when he batted 269 in the COVID season, 258, um, we're used to him batting 295, 288, um, he's had 300, 300, or 333 averages, so we're used to him getting on base a lot, so him batting uh, closer to 270, I think is kind of the floor you saw with him last year, and I think... Um, the industry as a whole is kind of sleeping on Polanco a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, rises to the fifth overall, depending on what happens. Um, he showed a little power production with 33 home runs. I don't expect that to happen again next year. I see him more as a 25 homer guy. And with Jonathan India, that's kind of what you're hoping for. You're hoping his ceiling is 325 home runs when Jorge Polanco's shown that he can do it. Um, now, I am a Jonathan India believer. He is on our dynasty, uh, my team in our dynasty league. So I'd love to see it, but uh, for our rankings, I think I'd take uh, the sure shot here. Um, but let's move on to the last ones we have at second base. We'll go 11 through 15 for both of us, and then we'll just touch on some uh, people outside that uh, we're kind of looking at uh, for maybe waiver wire pickups as soon as the season starts. So Matt, take it away. Yeah, and these are the guys that if you've gone heavily on pitching or other positions that you're going to have to just snag as your second baseman. And in all honesty, I think up to my 14, I'm actually okay with a lot of these guys. At 11, I have Jake Cronenworth for San Diego. You know, gave good counting stats, had a pretty good second half last year, did struggle a little bit in the first month and a half. At 12, I have Ty France. You know, Richie and I are huge Ty France believers. We really like Ty France. Was hampered by injury last year, played through it. I think finally did end up getting healthy at the end of the season. I think I will always look to Ty France and his minor league numbers of batting 399 when he was with the San Diego Padres organization as a, a tent pole for his ability to actually make bat to ball contact. I look for France to have another good season. And if they can bring some of those players up and produce in Seattle, I think that will only improve those counting stats. At number 13, I have Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers is one of those guys that you can play at second, you can play at short. I think we finally see a breakout from Brendan Rodgers this year, whether that means counting stats or power. Uh, it could be both, but I do think from a counting stats perspective, he has a very good season. I think the power may come in the next few years. Uh, 14, I have DJ LeMahieu. I am just not a believer in DJ LeMahieu. I think he was really pumped up by those Colorado numbers. I think coming to New York, he had one good season. He's fallen off pretty heavily. The power hasn't necessarily been there. The average hasn't been there. Playing time is also going to start to come into question if they do sign a guy like Correa. And then at 15, I have Escobar for the New York Mets, newly signed, coming over from Milwaukee uh, in free agency. I love Escobar, but he did have kind of a rough stint in Milwaukee, didn't mimic the same production that he was putting up over the last couple seasons. He comes in at 15, more or less probably a third baseman this season. But if he's out there and you absolutely are desperate for a shortstop, I think he'll give you power, some RBIs, and probably a 260 batting average. Yeah, I agree with the uh, majority of what you said. Let's go through my 11 through 15. At 11, I have Brendan Rodgers. 12, I have Jake Cronenworth. 13, Ty France. 14, DJ LeMayhew. And then 15, uh, Jazz Chisholm. I think the big one uh, to, to point out here is Jazz Chisholm. He's number 15 on my list, and he's not even in your top 15. Um, depending on which uh, site you play on, he's going as a top 100 uh, overall pick. Now, that could be uh, into account for categories and roto leagues. Um, we're basing ours based off head-to-head 
points, um, where Jazz Chisholm is going to give you around 20 stolen bases. That doesn't really help you as much in head-to-head -head points. Uh, the other thing I want to note is Brennan Rogers. I'm higher on him uh, at 11. I just want to point out uh, ESPN has him uh, forecasted to hit only 19 home runs this year um, with a 279 batting average. Last year he hit 284 with 15 home runs. I think um, he is right around that 280 hitter, but I, I fully see he can um, be kind of Trevor Story light, not hit. 40 home runs, but I think he'll hit closer to 30, maybe 35 if everything breaks right for him. Um, so, and that's kind of the reasons why I'm high. He's got a higher ceiling than someone like a Jay Croningworth or DJ LeMahieu who will, you know, hit 280 to 300, kind of like what Brendan Rodgers will give you. But I don't see them hitting those home runs. Jay Croningworth, DJ LeMahieu, maybe 15 to 20 is their ceiling, especially with this new ball. And that's kind of why I rank him a little bit higher. Uh, let's move on now to some outsiders. Uh, you, did you want to say something, Matt? Sorry. Yeah, with Chisholm, you know, my concern is he played in 124 games last year. He had 34 walks. That's just ridiculous. He has zero plate discipline up there. And to kind of highlight that even more in 124 games, he had 145 strikeouts. Yeah, he had 18 home runs, and he batted 248. But that's not something I want on my team. You know, we saw what he was after the first month and a half that he came up where he kind of lit everything on fire. He was he was a droppable player. There, There's no way around that. And I know in categories and in Roto, you're drafting for the stolen bases. But if you only walk 34 times, how many opportunities are you really going to have to steal those bases? You know, 23 steals is a pretty okay number, especially from a second baseman. You know, I have them unrated. You have them at 15. If you need the steals, I get it, draft him. But you're going to have to make up in batting average as well as oh, if it's an OBP league, you might as well not even draft him. Um, I, I'm just not a believer in Chisholm. I wasn't a believer in his minor league profile. I thought when he came up, he had a, a very similar kind of hot streak to some of the flashy names we've had over the last couple of years that just completely fizzle away. And that's what I expect from Chisholm. Uh, and as far as Brennan Rogers, I think 30 to 35 home runs, I think, you know, I think that's hopeful, in all honesty. His body type, he's not as strong as I had hoped him to be when he was drafted out of high school. I expected him to be better than Trevor Story, and he just hasn't filled out in the way I had hoped. So I'm expecting 20 to 23 home runs, absolutely max for him. I do think if he can fill out, play a full season, come into 2023, that might be the year I expect 30 home runs out of Brendan Rodgers. Let's get that boy some chicken and rice and some protein <laughs> shakes. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to call Reed and have him deliver it. At uh, yeah, something like that. Let's uh, let's move on to some uh, notable players outside uh, of our top 15, maybe some prospects or some uh, players that normally would uh, creep into this depending on the format. Matt, why don't you uh, go ahead and highlight some of these players? Yeah, I only have two listed. Uh, I have Gavin Lux, who I was a big believer in especially coming out of the minor leagues with the bat-to-ball contact he had. He has struggled mightily with left-handed pitching. That's something he's going to have to figure out if he wants to have regular playing time. And then Nolan Gorman, you know, St. Louis is one, two, three, number one prospect in that organization right now. I know they have Jordan Walker. 
Gorman's power is absolutely prodigious. You know, if it's not a, an 80 overall with Baseball America, it's got to be a 70. This is a guy that's going to hit you 25, 240 home runs, possibly in his prime, and he's going to be playing second base. This is a guy at the end of drafts. Say you do have to pick up a Ty France or a Cronenworth, and you're hopeful to get more counting stats out of him at the end of the year. You can grab with the notion that he's probably going to hit 15 to 20 home runs, even if he comes up in July or June. Uh, Gorman's a big bat, and I'm hoping for a Lux back uh, breakout this season. I don't know that we're going to get it to start the year, but he's a guy that you might want to keep an eye on, keep an eye on the waiver wire. And uh, if he starts getting hot, if he starts playing regularly and, and improves his left-handed approach, I think he could be a guy that you could plug in as a starter. Yeah, I agree with you. The The main thing here is we still don't know with a lot of these free agents out here, and the Dodgers lost some key pieces in Corey Seager and Max Scherzer. So right now, looks like Lux and Chris Taylor might be uh, their middle infielders. We don't know what's going to happen with Max Muncy and that UCL tear. Um, so it's kind of that, that wait and see what happens. Is he going to get that time? But I definitely somebody I'm interested in, Gavin Lux. Some players I want to note briefly touch on it, Chris Taylor. You know, even for just like a utility player, somebody on your bench, you know, he's going to have at least eligibility in ESPN outfielder, second base, shortstop. That will come in so handy with, you know, the COVID um, IL or these 10-day IL stints that you never know is going to pop up. And then somebody who is always under the radar, Gene Segura. Hit 290 last year with 14 home runs. He does have a history with injuries, but we're talking about people like Jake Croningworth and DJ LeMahieu in our top 15 who are going to hit 280, 290 with uh, those home runs, but they might provide a little bit more steals, a little more consistency. Um, but don't sleep on Gene Segura. He was one I had a, a tough time uh, keeping out of my top 15. Let's now move on to third base. So Matt, why don't you uh, tell the listeners who your top five are at third base? Yeah, our first three are the same. I think after we get through the first three, we actually start to have some conversations. Number one, Jose Ramirez, Rafi Devers coming in at number two, Manny Machado coming in at number three. Uh, and then number four is where we start to have a little bit of difference in opinion. I have Austin Riley in at four. I was not an Austin Riley believer until last year, and I continued all season to expect him to have a hiccup, to have that batting average drop, to go into a massive slump, and he just flat out didn't. And I'm expecting to see a similar version of Austin Riley this season. Maybe not the exact uh, counting numbers that he had. Maybe a little bit lower batting average. But it's still a good lineup, assuming Freddie Freeman re-signs there. I think he's going to be in a position to have success. And then I have Nolan Arenado at 5. Austin Riley slides in above Arenado because Arenado flat out doesn't have the same average he did when he is in Colorado. The power is still there. But I don't like the approach that he has in St. Louis. I'm just flat out for what the cost is going to be. I would rather have guys below him. Uh, so that's why Arenado has to be number five for me. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing with me is I have Riley outside of my top five. At um, one through three, like you said, are the same Jose Ramirez, Rafi Devers, Manny Machado. And then at four, I have Nolan Arenado. And then number five, Alex Bregman. I'm under the, you know, speculation that I need to see more from Riley. I picked him up in the beginning of the season, saw how inconsistent he was. He's kind of a streaky player. He'll go on these streaks where he'll hit home run after home run and get on base and drive his average up, and then he'll, you know, strike out a bunch of times and, you know, and then he won't provide anything for you. Um, 
25% um, strikeout rate for him last year. Not terrible, um, but it's not something you want to see for a top five third baseman. I'd like to see something under 20% for the price tag that comes with it. Um, Nolan Arenado, I think, is part of maybe it's a little biased because I he's will always have a, a sweet spot in my heart since he was on my former teams. Um, I think he was getting adjusted to the the new ballpark. Um, but I think he will bat more so closer to 260, 270. And I think that's kind of what you'll see with uh, Austin Riley. Um, so it's kind of the, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt with the track record. And that's kind of uh, the difference there. Alex Bregman last year dealt with some injuries. And I think I peg him for a, a bounce back season. I fully expect him to bat between 280 and 300 and get you 25 to 30 home runs. I don't think we'll see him batting. Uh, closer to 35 40 home runs like we thought his ceiling was uh, especially with this new balls um, but I easily could see Riley uh, jumping ahead of those guys but I just need to see more of it before I can do that let's move on to your six through ten um, and then we can talk more about this yeah, six for me as Alex Bregman coming in at that position. You kind of spoke about the reasons why I have listed him at six, and I would actually rather have Arenado over him. Uh, the strikeout percentage for Arenado is actually 15% last year. That was pretty remarkable, especially as he was adjusting to that new ballpark. But Bregman did come back from that shoulder injury. We kind of talked about that in the intro today about Severino's shoulder issues. Shoulders for me are very, very concerning. Uh, and I don't know that Bregman can ever regain the form that he had, especially now that the ball has changed. Bregman, over you know the course of four years, has had a very good doubles approach. Uh, he had a 51 double season back in 2019, which was very nice. His 2020 season was hampered with injuries and inconsistency. 2021, obviously, you saw the batting average drop a little bit. I am not going to pay for Bregman and hope for the ceiling when I know that the floor could still be dropping out from under him. Now, I think at worst, you're getting a guy that's going to hit you 260, 270, 20 to 25 home runs, but I'm not going to pay for a guy that had 51 doubles and 41 home runs in, in 2019. I, I would rather have him over Chris Bryant, who I have rated number seven. Uh, at number eight, I have Anthony Rendon. I think this is an amazing bounce-back candidate. Now, you cannot expect him to perform at the absolute height that he did when he left Washington because I do think he also benefited from that juiced ball. Number nine, I have a little bit of an aggressive approach here. I'm taking Jan Moncada. I think Moncada is going to also have a bounce-back season this year. I think with that lineup, you're going to see the opportunity for a lot of counting stats. You're going to hear me say that a lot with some of these guys. And Moncada you know, was highly touted. I, I still believe that he can be an all-star. I still believe he can be a rock in that lineup, but we need to see more production, and I am buying that this season at his draft position. And number 10, another aggressive uh, ranking here, I have Alberto Mondesi. You know, if Alberto Mondesi can stay healthy, Roto points, it doesn't really matter. He's going to steal you a bunch of bags. And again, if that lineup can improve, if they can get some more power in that lineup, you should start to see that average go up a little bit. You should start to see the OBP climb as well. He is not a guy that has a lot of patience, but I'm hoping with his age and maturity growing that we will start to see more of that patience. That's why he comes in at number 10 for me. Yeah, I think we disagree on Edelberto Mondesi. I don't think that guy can play more than 75 games in a season. I just don't think he can stay healthy. The Royals uh, have come out and said they don't see him as a full-time player as well. So that's my only hesitation. Going through my 6 through 10, I have Austin Riley. Uh, number 7, Chris Bryant. Number 8, Justin Turner. Number 9, I agree with you on Moncada. And then number 10, Rendon. 
The ones I want to point out here is I have Justin Turner inside my top 10. We'll get to him a little bit here on your uh, outside of your top 10. But looking at Justin Turner, it all comes down to what the Dodgers do. We briefly talked about it with Chris Taylor and Gavin Lux. Um, depending on who they bring in, um, it might affect his playing time. But Justin Turner last year batted 278 and had 27 home runs. I mean, that's as, as consistent as it gets. Only a 16% strikeout rate. Um, if he stays healthy, I think he's old reliable, and I think he can jump up two or three spots um, to number six for me, depending on what happens before the season starts. And then Anthony Rendon here um, falling to number 10. Those injuries um, last year, um, I believe he had some sort of hip injury that was major and had to have surgery, and those, those scare me. You know, when you're talking about uh, batting, you use your hips to swing the bat. Um, so I'm, I'm a little hesitant on him, um, but if he does come back and uh, is healthy, I do see him hitting around 275, 285, and um, it's all going to depend on uh, power. i got to see what that hip looks like and if he got full strength back. Um, Matt, let's go through your 11 through 15. Yeah, number 11, you kind of talked about Justin Turner a little bit. Uh, I'm not as bullish as you are with Turner. I think the age is going to continue to knock him down. I think the Dodgers are going to add some pieces in free agency. You know, they they have Trey Turner locked in at short. And then second base, it is. It's it's Lux, and it's going to be a battle between him and Chris Taylor. Third base obviously has the opening for Turner, but, you know, how does that age, how does his health hold up? The DH, I think, being implemented in the National League is definitely going to help him. And I think you're going to see more of a platoon between him, Chris Taylor, over at third. You know, Lux obviously having more of a tent pull if lefties aren't pitching against the Dodgers at second. But from Turner's perspective, you know, I would rather take a risk on Rendon. I'd rather take a, a hopeful pick in Moncada. And again, Mondesi, as you had said, not an everyday player. But I think the importance of spring training is big here. We need to see who, what these guys are doing. Turner's age scares me at 11. Josh Donaldson comes in for me at 12. I think at this point of the draft, if you've missed out on the guys that we just talked about, you know, Josh Donaldson's a hopeful pick. You're going to hope that he can stay healthy. You're going to hope that he can play 140 games, and he's going to hit you the 25 to 30 home runs. Uh, and that's going to be a concern. But at 12, that's not a bad ranking. 13, I have Cabrian Hayes. We both like Cabrian Hayes a lot. Didn't love what he did last year, but there was that wrist injury. So we are hoping that he comes back fully healthy this year. I think he's a guy at 13 that you could draft and get absolutely unexpected production from, vaulting him all the way up into, I'd say, the top seven. Uh, 14, I have Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman's value should rise once he's out of Oakland. I do expect him to be traded. You know, a platinum gold glove winner. The offense hasn't always caught up. 255 hitter in all reality with 20 to 25 home runs. But a guy that if he were to, say, be shipped to a New York or shipped to a Boston where he's going to maybe play a little bit more first, play a little more DH, that's an opportunity for him. Uh, and then at 15 coming in, we have Escobar for the New York Mets again. We did place him at second base earlier. Uh, he is 15 on both of my lists. I just like Escobar overall. I think if you have to wait till the end of the draft to draft one of your maybe middle infielders or your second or third baseman, he's a guy that you're still going to get good production out of. Yeah, I like the Escobar pick. I also am at 15. Uh, just you know where you're getting out of him in and out every year. Um, going down my list at 11, I have Cabrian Hayes. Number 12, Luis Urias. Number 13, Josh Donaldson. 14, Ryan McMahon. And 15, Eduardo Escobar. Uh, with Cabrian Hayes, you know, 2020, he seemed to blossom a little bit, showed a little pop when he came up, had some home runs. 
And then 2021, um, he looked pretty good coming out of the gate, had a high average, and then he uh, had a wrist injury. I believe he uh, injured it uh, during a slide into second base. Um, and ever since then, he went out and came back. I felt like they rushed him a little bit too soon, and he almost provided no power. His average dipped. Um, so I am giving him the benefit that benefit of the doubt here and kind of just uh, – you know, trying to believe that that 2020 power um, surge was the real deal and just last year was um, kind of a fluke as terms of injuries. Um, it will be a test. Um, I can see Brian Hayes possibly vaulting into uh, the top five, and next year we're talking about him as a stud. And I could also see us talking about dropping him and never talking about him in fantasy ever again come uh, a month into the season. Um, <clears throat> he is a very high variance player for sure. And then Ryan McMahon, um, I have him inside my top 15. Um, you know, he batted around 250, 254 to be exact last year, had uh, 23 home runs last year. He started out the season on fire, and then he tapered off near the end of the season and was dropped in majority of leagues. Uh, but he did show that he has the potential there, and I'm putting him in here for that potential. I think another season, less pressure of trying to be a contender and get to the playoffs, and now they're finally committing to somewhat of a rebuild. I think that will help him here and hopefully, uh, you know, build on his progression. Yeah, he's uh, Ryan McMahon being one of the guys outside of my top 15 that I've lift, listed. Him, Luis Urias, that you've also listed. I like Urias a lot this season. Uh, not necessarily fully buying in. I would love to see that production go up a little bit more. I still think at the end of the draft, he could be a guy that could hit you 20 home runs, possibly see a little better of a batting average than last year. And Henio Suarez for Cincinnati, also another guy that we've seen struggle over the last couple of years. And there's a lot of reasons for that, from the shoulder injury to them trying to move him to short. This might be his last season to be a guy that uh, has an opportunity to stay fantasy relevant. Patrick Wisdom for the Cubs, another guy on here, big-time power, big-time strikeouts. So a guy in points leagues, if strikeouts negatively impact you, that you probably want to stay away from. But much like our league, we don't actually negatively impact strikeouts, so he's a guy that you could grab, utilize for a few weeks when he's hot. Um, Alex Baum for Philly, this is a guy that's really hard to rank. Uh, he's outside my top 15 because we just haven't seen that Overall, fourth overall draft production kind of catch up to him for a major league uh, level player. I want to see him break out this season. Again, though, we need to see some help in that lineup be added. And then finally, Calvin Biggio coming in at the last guy. Biggio, another guy where if he hits a make or break for him fantasy season, you know, he has to start showing up and producing in that lineup. Marcus Simeon took such advantage of being able to play with a Bo Bichette and a Vlad Guerrero, you know, like we need to see the same production on a Biggio in terms of at least counting stats. Cause he's not going to give you that power, but Biggio is my last guy outside of my top 15. Yeah. I would like to see a little bit more average out of Biggio. I thought last year he'd improve on uh, his 2020 COVID season, but it almost seemed like he took a step back and that was upsetting to see. So hopefully uh, he can improve on his batting average. I don't think you're going to see much of a power like you said, but let's move along now to our shortstops. So since there are so many in uh, this year's fantasy season, we're going to go through our top 20. Um, but for the sake of not repeating people, we've excluded Trey Turner, Marcus Semien, Jorge Polanco, and Jake Croningworth. 
from our list um, just so that we can talk about more guys instead of repeat those top tier players. So Matt, uh, why don't you kick it off and go over your top five? Yeah, I mean, first off the bat for shortstop, Fernando Tatis is a no-brainer, right? Especially with Trey Turner kind of taken out of this list. Fernando Tatis is going to give you everything you want, whether you're playing in Roto Categories points. He's the MVP odds-on favorite, you know, if he's on the field. The problem is he hasn't always been on the field. So I'm not going to discount him via health. I think he gives you enough even in a shortened season with at least one IL stint to be the number one overall shortstop. Bo Bichette coming in at number two for me. Had a great season last year. He's going to continue to develop himself on the diamond as well as in the weight room. I think we start to see more power as his career grows. The average counting stats, everything is there. At number three, you have Xander Bogarts, who continues to amaze me. He doesn't slow down. He seems to be the model of consistency at shortstop. Uh, and same thing for Bogarts. As uh, Excuse me, same thing as Bichette. As he continues to get a little bit older, I think we will start to see a little bit more power. But all of those numbers are exactly where you want to see them, especially for the third shortstop off the board. First little bit of a dip I have in regards to tiers. I think Carlos Correa at number four is a bit of a split tier between Bogarts. Correa should be higher on this list for his pure ability on the diamond, but another guy kind of like Tatis that cannot seem to stay healthy. The other big question mark in hand is where does he land? Does he land in a pitcher-friendly environment, or is he able to find a ballpark like New York where you're going to have the opportunities to extend some of that power? Number five coming in for me is Corey Seager. Don't love the lineup that he's going to be in. Obviously, it's him and Semyon down there, and there's a lot of question marks around the rest of the diamond. Uh, Corey Seager, another guy, health concerns. There have only been, I think, one season that he's played 120 games. Uh, we need to see 140 games out of him. I think he could be a 40 home run hitter, a 300 hitter with 120 RBIs if he were just able to stay healthy. But again, those RBIs are going to be reliant on that lineup. Yeah, and I think the main difference we have here is Corey Seager. I'll go through my top five quick and then dive into him a little bit. Fernando Tatis at one, Bo Bichette at two, just like you. My number three is Corey Seager. Then I have Xander Bogarts, and then followed up with Carlos Carrera. When we look at Corey Seager, you know, his prior to his injuries, he was excuse me, batting 306 last year, 307 in 2020. Now, he didn't uh, have a full... Um, plate of appearances in 2020 but he still was able to hit 15 home runs only 16 last year but when we look at his underlying numbers he was in the 80th percentile in average exit velocity 95th percentile in max exit velocity 89 percent in hard hit percentage you know this screams to me somebody who just needs to get the ball up in the air a little bit if we look at his expected home runs last year um, looking at texas rangers it would have been only 14 when he hit 21 um, for the Dodgers expected, that is. But I fully see with his power progression and his underlying numbers, if he can get his launch angle a little bit higher, I think he can produce 25 to 30 home runs, regardless of what ballpark he's in. Now, when we compare that to Xander Bogarts, you know what you're getting. You're getting a 280, maybe 290 hitter, and he's going to hit you 20 to 25 home runs, and that's kind of where... I draw the line. I'm kind of banking on Corey Seager to have a breakout season this year in uh, te for the Texas Rangers. All right, Matt, let's move on to your 6 through 10. So number six here, it's very hard for me because I would have loved to rank Wander Franco higher in this list, but the truth is I think he does fall one position lower than Corey Seager because I do agree with some of the things you said. I'm not willing to draft him 
uh, Seager being that high in the draft, knowing that I'm hoping for the ceiling. But I, I do think with a launch angle adjustment, he could be that player. When I spoke about his ability to stay healthy, he actually has had two seasons where he was above 144 games. So not necessarily health in terms of his overall career, but it has been the last three seasons we've seen struggle there. Um, but kind of transitioning to Franco, we saw Franco come up and struggle a little bit last year right after his debut, which was very exciting and very electric. And then we saw Franco explode at the end of the season. We've spoken on that in past podcasts where his average was to finish the season. I think Franco, with that ability to kind of break out at the end of the year, was finally figuring out Major League pitching. He was figuring out the Major League game. And I think Franco here at six is the absolute opportunity for you to possibly have a top three shortstop with the absolute ceiling of his overall ceiling season. I think the floor, though, brings him in right above uh, Tim Anderson, which is going to be at my number seven. You know, we kind of know what we have from Tim Anderson. He is also a model of consistency there. He's a very good, not great shortstop. Number eight, I have Trevor Story. A big reason I have him eight as well is because I just don't know where he lands. If he lands back in Colorado, I probably would put him at seven or maybe even six over Franco. But if he's not in Colorado, I think we're going to see even a worse fall off than we saw for Arenado in those numbers outside of power as well as power. Number nine, I have a bounce back candidate here. It's going to be Frankie Lindor. I think Frankie Lindor is going to have a fantastic season. I think, you know, he's been a, a model of consistency, as we like to say, over the last five years. And he had a bit of a troubled season coming over from the Indians, kind of transitioning to that New York market, that media, and ultimately the, the playing field as well. Um, and number 10, I have Javier Baez. This is a reoccurring player from second base, but Baez is going to play more of shortstop there. Do not love Baez. We spoke on that. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower on Francisco Lindor than you are, but he is uh, still a good candidate for a bounce back. Looking at my uh, 6 through 10, I got uh, Wander Franco just like you. Uh, I have Trevor Story at 7. I fully think he's going to go to a great ballpark. I th I've just got a, a weird feeling he's going to go to the Blue Jays, back to the Rockies, or to the Yankees, all of which are phenomenal places to hit, uh, especially when you take into account his power. Number eight, I have Tim Anderson, somebody who you know is going to be consistently hitting right around 300, but not have as much power as somebody like Corey Seager, like we mentioned earlier. Number nine, Willie Damas. What he did once he went over to the Brewers was phenomenal, and I think he can uh, grow on that and really prove that he uh, belongs in the top 10. And then at number 10, I have Dansby Swanson, somebody who's going to, you know, maybe hit closer to 250, 260. But I think he has that power production that you're looking for and hit close to 30, 35 home runs. And that's kind of uh, what separates him from Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor for me. I think um, at their floor, you're getting, you know, 250 um, with only 15 home runs, where um, I think with Dansby Swanson, his floor is closer to 25, 30 home runs. Uh, let's move on to your 11 through 15, Matt. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on, on your floor. I don't disagree with you, but the reason I just could never take Dansby Swanson over either of those guys is because their ceiling is MVP. And if your ceiling is MVP, you're taking them 9, 10. I, I'm going to take the ceiling of an MVP over the, the ceiling that is Dansby Swanson, right? He's a guy that's been floating on our waiver wires for the most part for three years. And there's a reason for that. It's because he's not the flashy guy. He is more of a profile of Tim Anderson without that much speed. So I've got to take Lindor and Baez because when I'm drafting, especially in this round, I'm looking for a guy that could change my lineup. Because for the most part, Lindor at 9, Baez at 10, you know, Willie Damas at 9, and uh, Dansby Swanson at 10, 
this is later tiers of the draft, right? This is round eight, nine, ten. If you can get top two rounds out of these guys, that's that's what you're looking for. With that being said, at 11 for me is Willie Adamas. I don't love this placing because I do like him more than I like Baez this season, but he just hasn't shown me enough. Coming over to Milwaukee from Tampa, you know, we heard a lot about the batter's eye and how he couldn't adjust at home. The numbers supported that, especially the production when he came to Milwaukee. I need to see it one more season before I'm willing to rank Willie Adamas higher. And I think if he can do it this season, you're talking about Willie Adamas falling right into that seventh slot for where Tim Anderson is for me. I would much rather have Willie Adamas, a proven player, than Tim Anderson because the power is there, the average is there. And again, this kid could be an MVP if he has an explosive season. Uh, coming in at number 12 for me is our first prospect. It is going to be Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt, you know, very highly touted. I think Bobby Witt's going to come up opening day this season. I think he's going to play the full season. The only reason he is 12 for me is because there's so much depth at this position. Uh, 13, I have Dansby Swanson. 14, I have our guy Brennan Rogers. This is another repeat here, but Rogers, we've spoke on him heavily. And then Chris Taylor coming in at 15 for me. You said very nice things about his uh, ability to be moved around a fantasy lineup, and I fully agree with that. Yeah, taking a look at my 11 through 15 now, I have Javi Baez, followed by Brendan Rodgers, and then I also have Bobby Witt, and then 14, Francisco Lindor, and 15, I have Brandon Crawford. When we look at Brandon Crawford, he batted 298 with 24 home runs last year. I don't think many people realize how consistent he was with 79 runs and 90 RBIs. Can he repeat this? I'm not so sure, but looking at I think that's his ceiling right there, and when we get to number 15 here, I think uh, that's an excellent utility player that you can slot in. Um, I agree with you with Bobby Witt. I think he just needs to get up and show himself. I truly expect not something similar or uh, exactly what Wander Franco did, but I think something similar, but with just a little less power. I think he's going to bat 280 to 300 by the end of the year. It might just be a little rough patch at the beginning and take some adjustments. Um, let's move on to your 15 through 20, Matt. Yeah, so 15, Chris Taylor, I had mentioned him kind of in the, the last round there. Uh, 16, we're going with Luis Urias, a guy that has multi-eligibility in fantasy. That's going to be big for your lineups. Coming in at 17, I have Brandon Crawford. You know, had an incredible season last year, but there is age catching up to Brandon Crawford. 18, I have Ahmed Rosario for Cleveland. A guy that's kind of who we know he is. You really don't want to have to start him in fantasy leagues. You don't want him to be your starting shortstop. You don't want him to be your utility guy. But if you have a couple injuries, he's a guy you might have to slide in there. I think there could be worse options. Coming in at 19, I have O'Neill Cruz for Pittsburgh. This is a guy that we have talked about on this podcast. He's highly touted as a prospect. 6'7", big guy for shortstop. Big-time power. He does have good bat-to-ball contact. My concern is he plays in Pittsburgh. That lineup is terrible, and I do think he's going to have an adjustment period. But I think this is a guy that, again, you want to monitor on waiver wires with the ability of possibly picking him up and catching lightning in a bottle. Um, and then at 20, Richie, I'm going to need your help pronouncing this gentleman's name. Highly touted prospect out of the Cincinnati Reds organization. I have Barreno. Uh, I think it's pronounced Barrero. Yes, so like Burrito. <laughs> Sure, whatever you want to say. So, yes, I mean, at 20, if you want a good fantasy name, uh, you can, you know, play around with Burrero, Burrito, you know, kind of have some fun with it. But 
All jokes aside, he is going to give you good counting stats. He has a lot of speed, highly touted in that Reds organization. Is more of a defensive player first. I think he's going to take some time to develop at the bat. Uh, but I tossed him in here just kind of, again, catching lightning in a bottle. He might give you a couple really good weeks, and you might be able to trade him to some sucker for a good starter. Yeah, I, I don't see uh, Jose Barrero, if, if I'm even pronouncing it right, I don't think he's going to have enough uh, fantasy relevance, um, but you, you never know. Uh, going through my uh, 16 through 20, I have Luis Urias, who he spoke about earlier, Anahenio Suarez, uh, this is pretty much a power play, um, followed by Jazz Chisholm, and then at 19 I have Glaber Torres, and then Nicky Lopez. Nicky Lopez is going to give you a great average with some steals. So if you're playing in categories of Roto, I think he bumps up at least 8 to 10 spots. Um, just for those uh, simple facts that he's going to get on base, steal bases, and provide you runs. Um, so I've been thinking about what we were talking about with Francisco Lindor and Dansby Swanson. And kind of just comparing the two, I want to make a little wager with you. What do you say, Matt? Uh, the wager that I'm absolutely correct since, you know, Frankie Lindor had 34, 37, and 32 home runs in back-to-back-to-back seasons? Yeah, I think he's fallen off, and um, just looking at his last two seasons, only bet at 258 and 230, um, I think that Dansby Swanson will hit more home runs than Francisco Lindor this year. How about the batting average for Dansby Swanson at 248 last season, which was lower than the 2020 season for Frankie Lindor? We have to put batting average in this. Okay, well, if we're looking at batting average, Francisco Lindor hit 230 last year. No, I'm speaking on 2020 because you used both years. Okay, well, 2020, Dansby Swanson hit 274. Correct. They also played in 60 games. What did Dansby Swanson <laughs> do from 2016 to 2018? Was he ever one? Did, did he ever get voted for MVP like Frankie Lindor did in multiple seasons? No, he didn't, but he Correct. was drafted first overall. And then immediately traded by the organization that drafted him because they didn't believe in him. This, that's not the bet we're talking about I'm right just now, saying Matt. that he's an average player that does not deserve to be. I'm taking this bet. Whatever, you're, whatever you want to throw at me, I, I'm, it's a guaranteed win. So how much are we putting on it? Uh, you want to do 10 bucks? What? It's strictly home runs because the average variance between Swanson and Lindor is, is so high and low. Um, that could go either way. All but right. I think the home runs is pretty much the reason why I have Swanson ahead of Lindor in our rankings pretty much because we're going on head-to-head. Now, if we're talking about categories, that'd be a different story. We're we're talking about head-to-head. I agree with you. All right, let's set the parameters for this bet. We're going to do 120 games each player must play, right? Well, I like like doing what Reed says, where they have to be within a certain number of games of each other. All right, so let's do... uh, Within 15 games? I mean, I think that's fair. 15 games. We we need to start, because we betted on something earlier in one of our previous podcasts for 20 bucks we'll have to go back and check it i want to hold us up all right you listeners you heard it here first whoever hits more home runs <laughs> and they have to be within 15 games of each other let's move on to the last part of our podcast and it's kind of the the short stops outside of our top 20 and uh it looks like we had some prospects to talk about um pick and choose what you want to say about these guys matt yeah i just wanted to talk about two you have two i have two um C.J. Abrams is going to be my first, and this is a guy, I've kind of said it before, if you want to catch lightning in a bottle, I don't expect Abrams. I would not be myself promoting Abrams this season. I think he needs more conditioning down in the minor leagues. I think he needs to recover from that broken leg. But what we saw from him last year was him actually starting to fully develop as a possible star in the major leagues. 
Uh, unbelievable speed. The kid is lightning fast, but he also proved last year that he has bat-to-ball contact skills, and he showed a little bit of power. You could be talking about a kid at his prime that's hitting you anywhere from 20 to 30 home runs, stealing 30 to 50 bags, possibly batting 280 to 310. This is an electric player, especially in categories leagues. If for any reason he is brought up this season, I think he will be a source of speed. I would not expect a lot of power out of him, and I would not expect a very high batting average because, again, if they're going to bypass him from AAA, there's going to be a learning curve. But C.J. Abrams is a guy to keep an eye on and also keep an eye on going into 2023 because I think he will be at a discount next year as well. And I think he could be a guy that could possibly win Roto Leagues. Next guy on my list is Bryson Stott. Uh, this is a former UNLV kid. He you know, works out with Bryce Harper. He has the Vegas ties to him. He is in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. He was a first-round pick. This is a very similar profile to Dansby Swanson. I think Stott's going to have a better batting average, maybe not hit the 24 to 27 home runs that Swanson can hit, but Stott's a guy that could take that starting position sometime this summer if the Phillies lineup is struggling. Yeah, I, I like the ones that you uh, mentioned there. Uh, those would have been my picks um, if you didn't already steal them. <laughs> but uh, two, two prospects I wanted to note. Um, no, these are guys I'm not drafting, but they're people I'm going to be keeping an eye on as the season goes along. The first one is Jeter Downs. He had high hopes of coming up to the majors last year after he was traded from the Dodgers to uh, the Red Sox. Um, however, he did have a 32.3% strikeout rate in AAA last year and only batted 190. So clearly wasn't ready uh, for the big leagues, but I'm curious to see what happens with his progression this year, and maybe he comes up this year. If he does, somebody I am definitely would be interested in um, if he can cut down that strikeout rate. And then the next one, a name that hasn't been said in a while, and that's Royce Lewis. He hasn't seen any action since 2019 in AA. This was a highly touted prospect, I believe, top 15, maybe top 20 um, in the prospect rankings a few years back. Um, last time he played was in AA. Um, didn't do the hottest, had a 231 batting average with a 22.3% strikeout rate. This isn't a guy who's going to give you much... Um, in the power department for home runs. Um, he'll give you average speed um, for stolen bases, had 16 um, in high A um, for the, the Minnesota Twins organization, and then six as once he got bumped up to double A. So that's 22 in a year. Um, and that was only over the course of 94 plus 33. My math's killing me here. What is that? 127 games. So, um, you know, you're looking at somebody who's going to give you around 25 to 30 uh, steals if he's given the opportunity. Um, so somebody for categories leagues, uh, if you're in a dynasty league, maybe uh, uh, grab him and uh, stash him. I don't think we see him this year, maybe not even next year, but uh, somebody who might get some helium as the season continues. Yeah, and you, you look at Downs and you look at Lewis and you look at what can really happen, you know, especially if we're speaking about dynasty leagues here. You hold on to a guy that was highly touted or highly drafted like Lewis was. Downs obviously coming over in that Mookie Betts trade was having much better production for the Dodgers minor league affiliates than he was coming over to Boston. And Downs had a terrible year last year. And I think maybe you saw some of the effect of the 2020 COVID season where the alternate training camp kind of took away some of the uh, production and kind of the ability for these guys to compete against higher level players. And then Royce Lewis, ultimately, he reminds me a lot of uh, Jorge Polanco for the Pirates, like highly touted guy that just 
for whatever reason, maybe it's the hitch in his swing that he has, or maybe it's his injury history, or in just more of an athlete than he was a ball player. Lewis has to come out and have a good season. Otherwise, you're going to start to see that number one overall draft ranking completely stripped away from him and prospect pedigree gone. But two guys that you're right, buy low on them if you can. If there's in Dynasty Leagues an opportunity where somebody's just really not feeling that these guys could be you know, productive major league hitters, I think there's still absolutely a chance for that. Get them while they're low, <clears throat> stash them on the bench, and just see what happens. Absolutely. I agree 100%. All right, that concludes our rankings for second base, shortstop, and third base. Kind of a, a lengthier podcast, but we got through it. I believe we have starting pitcher, outfield, and relief pitcher uh, left for you guys. So um, we'll try to get through all of those before the season starts. It looks like we're getting more and more time as the weeks go on. Um, but other than that, have a great night, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.